Amen. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Heavenly Father, we declare the worthiness, the glory of your Son. We acknowledge the presence right now in this place of your Spirit who dwells inside of all those who have trusted in your Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And Father, we thank you for that song, Lord, that just gives us a, a vision, a sense of anticipation, Lord, of being in your presence, what our eyes will see with resurrected bodies, Lord, standing before your glorious throne in the new heavens and the, and the new earth. And Lord, I pray that, that heaven would, would touch earth, Lord, in this moment as we open your word, that you would move by your spirit, that we would hear your voice speak. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Uh, this Sunday is an exciting Sunday. Uh, it's a, a baptism Sunday. We've got a number of people sitting right over here who are about to uh, follow Jesus' command uh, to be baptized. And a baptism is something that we made up. Jesus told his disciples after he rose from the dead, he said this in Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're doing today is simply an obedience to what Jesus has laid out. The, the, these individuals today are making a declaration. By being baptized, they are declaring that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so uh, today we're going to turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to look at a definition of discipleship. What are these people committing to, to be as, as people who are being baptized, who are deciding to become disciples? What does that actually look like? What does that mean? If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will come up and down the aisle right now with copies of a God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, this is our a gift to you. We're in John chapter 1, and I want to ask you to find verse 35. We're looking at a definition of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? John 1.35 says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you're just joining us, we, we, we're been, we've been in a series in the Gospel of John. And when it says, the next day, John, that's not referring to the author, but a, another character in the story, Jesus' older cousin, John, who's known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. It says, the next day, notice how it says, the next day, John was again standing with, with, with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus, who's really the, you know, the main character in the story, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now John was standing there with two of his disciples. As, as John came to prepare the way for Jesus to come, he had gathered to himself some of his own disciples. A, a disciple, the word literally means learner or student. And so as John was out by the Jordan River preaching and teaching, he had gathered around him a, a group of people who became his disciples. And then when John saw Jesus the next day, he, he told them, Behold the Lamb of God. But if you look back at verse 29, John said the exact same thing. The day before, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The next day, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Guess what? If you were to hear him the day after that, guess what he would say? Behold the Lamb of God. 
You see, John had one message, and he wasn't afraid of being repetitive. He knew his purpose in life. And listen, if you're going to stick around Harvest Bible Chapel for longer than a week, you're going to realize that we have one message too. Uh, we're, 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 we are proudly a broken record that's just saying the same thing over and over again. Behold the Lamb of God, pointing people uh, to Jesus. Verse 37 says, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. These disciples of John become disciples of Jesus. And the action that they took in response to John's words is really the, 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 the cornerstone of what it means to be a disciple. They followed Jesus. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are called to follow Jesus. We are called to follow Jesus. Verse 38 says, Jesus turned and saw them following him. This is what we do as disciples. We, we follow him. We, we go where he leads us. And then what happens next in verse 38 is very important. Uh, so far, John the author has been doing a lot of talking about Jesus. And then John the Baptist, we've heard his voice. We've heard from priests and Levites who had questions that John answered, but we haven't yet heard Jesus speak, have we? And now here, as we come to this verse, our ears should be perked up. We should be thinking, we should be leaning forward with anticipation. These are the first words spoken as recorded by John in his gospel. And notice what he says, verse 38, Jesus turned, saw them following, and said to them, what are you seeking? That's the question he asked these prospective disciples. And that's the question that he's asking all of us today. Whether you're contemplating being a disciple or whether you have been a disciple for many years. The question is, what are you seeking? Why did you come here Today, Maybe you came here seeking to see your, you know, your friend or family member get, get baptized today. They invited you to come to church, so you're just, you're just seeking to be a good friend or a supportive a family member. Maybe you're here today and, and you feel guilty about how you've behaved this week and you're hoping to absolve some of that guilt by you know, attending church. And somehow you know, the good deed of going to church will outweigh the, the bad deeds that, that you were engaged in this week. Maybe your life is completely overrun by a life-dominating sin or addiction and you're looking for relief. Maybe you're going through an, an awful season of suffering and you are seeking some sort of escape. Maybe you're intellectually intrigued by the teachings of Jesus and you're seeking knowledge. See, the truth is we're all seeking something. And and. We, we really won't be able to, to, to get clarity on what's happening in our lives until we're able to articulate what it is that we're seeking. Jesus asks us that question today. What are you seeking? The disciples respond. says that they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I, I, I'm pretty sure that these disciples were looking more for, for than just you know, Jesus' address. 
Maybe they didn't really know what to say. But, but listen, the answer with regards to what they were seeking is evident in what they call Jesus. They call him rabbi, which means teacher. John's doing a lot of sort of trans, translation on the fly. Some of us are very familiar with that. We have family members who speak a, a different language. We're trying to help them understand. And so a John here is writing. He's writing in Greek. The people, his audience are going to be reading it in Greek, speak Greek. And he's describing discussions happening between Jewish people who spoke Hebrew, but the everyday colloquial language was actually Aramaic. And so a number of times, just like it says here, rabbi in brackets, which means teacher. So rabbi was the, was the, was the Hebrew uh, term for teacher, and then John translates that into Greek for his readers. They were looking for a teacher. You see, a disciple is first and foremost a follower. And there's, a, there's an inherent prerequisite of humility that's required if you're going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Christians are not people who have all the answers, but they follow the one who does. And Christians do not always know where to go or what to do, but they follow the one who does. And we live in a world, and maybe you're feeling this way right now. Maybe you feel directionless. You need to follow Jesus. He knows the way. He knows the meaning and the purpose for our existence. And maybe you're here today and you've got questions that you don't know. Listen, Jesus has the answers. He is our rabbi. He is our teacher. And Jesus said when he gave that command about making disciples who are to be baptized, this is what he said. Let's look at Matthew 28 again. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so this morning, you guys aren't simply committing to, you know, I'm just going to go underwater and that's my ticket to heaven and, and I'm just going to go on and live the rest of my life. But now that I've been baptized, I know I'm going to heaven. No, 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 that's not it. You are, in, in being baptized today, in, in declaring that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are committing to follow him as rabbi, to obey everything that he has commanded. And so a disciple, as I mentioned earlier, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower, and you won't become a disciple unless you're willing to come to the point, come to the end of yourself and say, I don't know the way, and I don't have the answers. And that's a humbling thing to do. And so these disciples went where Jesus was going. They wanted to follow him. Verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. The way they kept track of time, the way they're, they're sort of, uh, they didn't have clocks back then, but the way they told time uh, was a little bit different uh, from the way we do now. You know, we have, you know, we have a 24-hour day and, and, and 12, uh, 12 part, uh, sections on our watch. And listen, they had a 24-hour day as well, but the way they kept track of time was, was between 6 a.m., and 6 p.m., when, when, generally when the sun came up and when the sun set. And then they counted 12 hours in between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. So the 10th hour, you count 10 hours from 6 a.m. and you end up with 4, it's about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. It's right before dinner, a couple hours before a sunset. And so they, they spent the rest of the evening talking and learning from Jesus, their Messiah. 
Notice how they didn't tell Jesus to come to their house. They wanted to go and see where he was staying. See, some people get the wrong idea about Christianity or what it means to follow Jesus. Sometimes we think that discipleship means that we just invite Jesus to help us with all of our stuff. You know, Jesus, here's my job, and here's my career, and here's my goals. If you could help me out with that, that would be great. And here's my plans and my purposes for my relationships and my health and all of that. If you, if Jesus, I'm inviting you to help me do my thing. That's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is not inviting Jesus to do our thing. Discipleship is us participating with Jesus to do his thing. To go where he wants to go. To, to do what he wants to do. It's not about us like, making uh, our lives better or having our best life now. No, it's about living for his glory and doing what he has called us to do. That's what it means to follow him. We don't lead, we follow. Continuing on, in, in, the, in the story in verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Here's the, here's the second thing we need to understand from this passage, that as disciples we are called to share Jesus. As disciples we are called to share Jesus. Andrew and the other disciple who remains nameless, ch chances are that other disciple is actually John, the guy who wrote this book, because his kind of M.O. is to remain anonymous. But Andrew goes and immediately shares the message of Jesus with Peter. Notice how natural and organic evangelism is for the early disciples. 24 hours ago, they didn't know who Jesus was. Now they spend an evening with him, and the, the very next day, immediately, they're telling their family members, listen, evangelism is not something telling someone about Jesus. You don't need to take a course to be able to do that. You don't have to know all of these Bible verses in order to be able to do that. All you need to do is to be able to tell people who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's what simply happens here. Sometimes we overthink this idea of sharing Jesus with others. If they could do it within the within. Within 24 hours of first meeting him, surely we can introduce other people to Jesus as well. Now in terms of disciples and notoriety, you know, Andrew is not the first one that, that comes to mind. Um, some of us would even be hard-pressed to know any story in the Bible that actually involves Andrew. I mean, Andrew, John here had to explain, who's Andrew? Well, he's Simon Peter's brother. Okay, I understand. Some of you are, have family situations like that where, where no one knows who you are but you have, like a, you, have, you have a son or a daughter or you have, a, you have parents or you have a brother or a sister who are more well known and you're just sort of known. Oh, I'm, I'm that person's father. I, I'm that person's brother or, or sister. That's what, that's, that was kind of Andrew's life. Andrew really wasn't in the limelight. But I want to show you today how Andrew is in fact the most influential the most influential disciple in the entire New Testament. You think, well, how could you say that? I mean, Peter got up in the book of Acts and preached to thousands of people. Peter got broken out of prison. Peter did all of these great things. What about John, who wrote the gospel of John? He was the disciple who Jesus loved. What about James, who was the pillar of the church in, 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 in Jerusalem? 
There's all of these other, other, how could you say that Andrew, what about, what about the apostle Paul who came to Christ later? Listen, Andrew is the one who brought Peter to Jesus. You wouldn't have Peter preaching to thousands of people if Andrew didn't choose to preach to one person. And so this is an, an incredibly important truth that we need to understand. That we are all called upon to share Jesus. And listen, when we share the gospel, even with just one person, you might never have the opportunity to speak to hundreds of people or thousands of people, but you have an opportunity to speak to one person at a time. And you have no idea the, the impact that you will have through that person. You have no idea what God would do if that person were to trust in Jesus Christ and the ministry that they would have. Let me introduce you to Jamie. Many of you don't know this, but the reason why most of us are here is because of Jamie. And Jamie has indirectly had an influence on just about everyone's life here in this room. In some way, shape, or form. In fact, Jamie's obedience in following Jesus and sharing Jesus has in fact impacted thousands and thousands of people in southern Ontario and beyond. You're like, I've never, you're like, I've never seen this guy before in my life. Jamie is a golf course superintendent in Las Vegas, Nevada. Some of you think, oh, I'd like to go visit him right now. I'd like to learn more about this Jamie in a nice warm, nice warm climate. You see, when Jamie was in his late teens, early 20s, God got a hold of his life. And he was dramatically saved and trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he was really burdened that his older brother and the rest of his family would get fired up about the Lord as well. And so he started sharing Jesus with his brother. His brother was super successful. He was an athlete. He was in business uh, school and university. And he wanted nothing to do with, with Jesus. But Jamie kept planting seeds, kept trying to introduce his brother and the rest of his family to Jesus. He even left Christian music CDs lying around hoping that they would listen to them. Do you remember CDs? And then one day his older brother just sort of came, came to a crisis moment in his life. He had experienced success in the world and saw how empty it was. And he had really looked in the mirror and saw his own sinfulness and his own wickedness and he was really searching for answers. And he's had all these conversations with his brother about Jesus and his brother wasn't around but he got out one of these Christian CDs and he thought it was going to be super cheesy. He didn't want to listen but he put it in the CD player and it was the DC Talk CD and the song that he heard was In the Light. Now listen, I'm pretty sure very few of us have ever heard of Jamie Simons. But it was Jamie Simons who led Robbie Simons to Jesus Christ. Listen, many of us heard Pastor Robbie on the radio. He visited his church in Oakville. I mean, the whole reason why I'm here and this church is here is because I was poured into and discipled by Pastor Robbie. But there's, there's none of this. There's none of that there in Oakville. There's none of any of that without Jamie sharing Jesus with his brother. There's no Robbie without Jamie. And listen, loved ones, there's no Peter without Andrew. 
And so don't think that you have some small, insignificant ministry because you're not preaching to hundreds of people or, or anything. Listen, you have no idea what God could do in the life of the person that God has put right in front of you and said, go, go share the gospel with that person. And so Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. He's named Simon at that time. Verse 42, it says, he brought him to Jesus and he looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So a lot of translation happening here. Simon is a Jewish name. It means hearing. Peter could have benefited from doing a little more hearing in his life. I know I could too. But Jesus then, speaking in Aramaic, calls him Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for rock. And then John translates Cephas into Greek so his readers can understand the Greek word Petros, Peter, where we get the idea of petrified, you know, stone is, is petrified. And so Jesus, the first thing he does when he meets Peter is change his name. Now there are, there are some people who, who, like to, who like to describe Jesus like he was just a normal person, like he was just an everyday guy. And he, he, just, he had some good teachings, but we shouldn't worship him. We shouldn't, we shouldn't call him God. He, he was just a normal person. Normal people don't change someone's name when they first meet them. If you were to go to the Welcome Center at the end of the service or the coffee shop, and you know, one, of our, 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 one of our members of the church says, Hey, how you doing? What's your name? And you're like, Oh, nice to meet you. My name's Tom. And they're like, No. <laughs> you're not a Tom. You're, uh, you're, 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 you're a Reginald. We're gonna, actually, we're going to call you Reggie for short, okay? Hey, everyone, come over here. Come meet Reggie. You're like, uh, like my, uh, my, my, my birth certificate, you know, my social media handles, you know, my, my, my parent. I'm actually named after my great-grandfather. And so, you, know, you don't just go changing people's names unless there's something very, very special about you, right? And so Jesus was the creator of Simon, he had full authority over his life. He was the reason why Simon was able to draw oxygen into his lungs. He was upholding the universe by the word of his power. He had the authority to give Peter a new name in that moment. So Andrew shares the gospel with his brother Peter. And then we know how the rest of that story plays out. Then we're given another example of sharing Jesus. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. That's what disciples do. They follow Jesus. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Bethsaida means house of fishermen. And we know that Andrew and Peter, remember Jesus called them and they dropped their nets because they were, they were fishermen. So Philip was uh, from that same town as well. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. And he said to him, now uh, Philip is one of, those, one of those detail people. Any of you detail people? You like to give the, the whole story, you like to give the background, you, you like to give all of, the, all of the, the, the five senses in when you're telling a story. So check out the, the details. He starts with uh, historical and theological details. He says, and Philip found Nathaniel, he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. So there's some theology and some history. Then he gives uh, some geographical details of Nazareth. 
And then biographical details, the son of Joseph. You see, Andrew just told Peter, hey, we've, we've, found, we've found the Messiah. End of story. That's all you need to know. Where Philip wants to fill in all of the details. But then look at, look at Nathaniel's reaction. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Nathaniel's initially skeptical that that the one that Moses wrote about, the fulfillment of all of these prophecies, could possibly come from Nazareth. There are no prophecies or predictions in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming from that area. I mean, one of the details that Philip didn't know was that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, which is prophesied in the book of Micah. But Nathanael didn't know that. So he's, he's skeptical. But look at how Philip responds to his skepticism. Philip said to him at the end of verse 46, come and see. Just come and check it out. He doesn't try to get into an argument. Well, Nazareth's a really nice place. No, he doesn't do anything like that. Apparently, Nazareth had a really bad reputation. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, I grew up in Hamilton. I mean, that's a city with a reputation, right? And so... But Philip's not faced by that. He just says, you know what, just just come and see. I'm not going to argue with you. I just want to get you to meet Jesus. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. See, Nathanael knew his Bible. That's why he asked the question about Nazareth. That's why Philip gave him all of those extra details about Moses and the prophets. And so Jesus, speaking to a very biblically literate person, he calls him an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. You see, the Israelites were descendants of a man named Jacob, whose father was Isaac, whose father was Abraham. But it was Jacob who had the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And they became the 12 tribes of Israel because Jacob's name was eventually changed from Jacob to Israel. So he, he says to Nathanael, behold, you're an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. But here's the interesting thing. The word Jacob means deceiver. It means cheater. It means liar. So Jesus walks up to Nathanael who knows the Bible and he says, behold, you're an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. And this captures Nathaniel's attention. You see, Jacob means deceiver. Jacob lied to his father and, and he was an invalid and he was blind. And then he tricked his, his, his brother as well. This is what his brother had to say about him. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. Jacob was not just a deceiver and a cheater in name but in action as well. But Jesus looks at Nathanael and he says to him, you know what? You're a man of integrity. I can tell that about you right off the bat. And then Nathanael says, well, I mean, how, how do you know me? Nathanael had some questions. He didn't understand how, how all of this could fit together, how Jesus could possibly be the Messiah. He had questions, but he had honest questions. And I'm, I'm thankful. And I'm totally 
willing, I'm longing to sit down with people who have honest questions about Jesus. But there's lots of people who use questions as a bit of a smokescreen. They say, you know what, I I would believe in God and all that sort of stuff, but I just really don't understand how science and evolution and the origins of the universe, how can that fit together with uh, with the Bible? Or, you know what, I don't really really understand what what the Bible teaches about how women should be treated or LGBTQ plus uh, issues. So I got some questions, I got some questions. Well, listen, if you got some questions, that's great. But are they honest questions? Because there's a lot on the line here. Eternity in heaven versus eternity in hell is on the line here uh, based off these questions. If you have questions about the topics I mentioned or any other topic, have you read one book, one book on that subject? Have you read one article on that particular, the thing that you have, because we can all say we have questions. Or are you, are you, are you deceiving others, deceiving yourself, saying, I won't believe in God until I get this figured out. But are you actually trying to figure it out? Nathaniel had questions. Philip said, well, just come and see. Let's do some research. Let's go and meet him right now. You see, Nathaniel was a, was a man of honesty. And because he was honestly seeking Jesus, Jesus was fine to meet a skeptic. He wasn't afraid to interact with someone who didn't fully believe, who had some hesitancies. And the The leaders of the church, we're not afraid of that either. Come forward with your questions. But here's the thing. When you come with a truly open heart, with a truly honest heart, you see, a lot of the times we have all of these questions because we want to just go on and live our lives however we want. We know that if we get those questions answered, then we're accountable. But Jesus says, you know, you're you're an Israelite. There's no deceit in you. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you, how do you know me? How, how can you make that kind, of a, that kind of a statement about me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So in this moment, again, Nathaniel comes, he's skeptical. He's got questions, but he comes honestly. And when we come to Jesus and truly bring whatever skeptic, skepticism, whatever hesitancies we might have, Look at what Jesus does here. He gives Nathaniel just enough information to demonstrate that he's omniscient. I mean, there's a lot of conjecture about, you know, what was happening under the fig tree. Was he, was he praying to God? Was he sinning and he thought no one could, could see him? And listen, we don't really know. All, this was between Jesus and Nathaniel. But the thing about the fig tree really struck a, car, a chord with Nathaniel. Here's the thing. Jesus will meet you and will reveal to you who he is if you come to him honestly, if you come to him willing to become his disciples, if you get your questions answered. And check out how Nathaniel responds in verse 49. Jesus answered him, Rabbi, that's what the other people were calling him. He's the teacher. But then look at this. He says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. See, here's the third thing that you need to understand about being a follower of Jesus Christ and being a disciple. Sure, we we follow him, we share him, but listen, we also worship him. We don't just follow Jesus' teaching, we follow him. 
It's not just about us trying to be better people. No, it's about worshiping God who came to this earth in human flesh. And Nathaniel here declares that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the King of Israel. He's so much more than the King of Israel. He wasn't just a, a king who was going to reign on David's throne for the, for the Hebrew people. He was going to be a, the King of the cosmos who was going to rule and reign and that people would follow him from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But Nathaniel worships him in this moment. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And then he says, you will see greater things than these. He says, you you believe me because of the fig tree thing? Believe is the most important word in the gospel of John. You're going to hear me saying that a lot. Because John says it 98 times in the gospel. The whole reason why John wrote this is so that people would believe in him. But he says, you're going to see greater things. And then in verse 51, he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of Man was the way Jesus talked about himself. It wasn't um, in, in contradiction to the, to the label of being Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. A son of Man was a term from Daniel chapter 7 to describe who the Messiah is. So when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, he's just saying, He's the Messiah. He's the savior of the people of Israel, the savior of the whole world. He's the one who's worthy to receive honor and glory and praise. And Nathaniel worships Jesus. Now, if Jesus were not the son of God, and again, many people say, well, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. He, he didn't actually claim to be the son of God. Well, listen, if Jesus wasn't the son of God, this would have been a really great time for him to clarify that with Nathaniel. Hey, you know what, I appreciate the compliment. I know I kind of freaked you out with the fig tree thing, but you're taking it too far, okay? I'm just a moral teacher. That's not what Jesus did. He said, if you believe, believe what? Believe that I am the Son of God. Jesus is affirming what Nathaniel said, but he says, he says you're, you're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, Nathaniel's got Jacob on his mind right now. Because Jesus already did that Israelite without deceit thing. But if you follow the story of Jacob, after he lies and deceives again, his his brother Esau is ready to kill him. And so Jacob, is he's literally running for his life. He goes off to one of his distant relatives. And We'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28. It says he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun is set. He went as far as he could and then he, he couldn't go any further. And the sun is setting and he doesn't have any tent. He doesn't have any materials. He doesn't have anyone with him. It says taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. He's got nothing right now. He uses a stone for his pillow And then it says, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending 
on it. That's the exact language that Jesus used when he's talking to Nathanael. Jesus says, on him, on the Son of Man, you will see angels ascending and descending. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that he is Jacob's dream come true. What is Jacob dreaming about here? Jacob is dreaming. Listen, the guy who deceived and cheated and lied and was overwhelmed with guilt for the way that he had behaved was thinking, if there were only a way that I could get to heaven, is it it even possible that God could come down and visit me, a wicked sinner and deceiver? And Jacob has this vision where where heaven is open and there's a ladder, there's a stairway to heaven, Led Zeppelin reference. There's 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 a way to heaven. And then the dream goes away. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, listen, I am Jacob's dream come true. I am the fulfillment of every longing in every human heart. We were made to be there with God. And Jesus came and said, I am that ladder to heaven. You see angels descending and descending on that ladder. Listen, I am that ladder. Jesus will say later, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, you will see heaven open because Jesus is the one who came from heaven to open it. And he is the one who came to make a way. And the way was made by him suffering and dying on the cross for our sin. Jacob was a liar and a cheater and a deceiver and he deserved to die for his sin. But Jesus made the way, the ladder to heaven. I have sinned in things that I've said and things that I've thought and things that I've done and I deserve to die for my sin. But Jesus has made a way me to be forgiven and for me to enter into heaven. All of us have the sentence of death. We don't deserve to go on a ladder to heaven. We belong on an elevator straight to hell. But Jesus has made that way for us and he is that way for us. And that is why we follow him. That is why we share him. And that is why we worship him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here right now, Lord, because I know what's happened in my own life. If there's anyone here who is not following you. Who had made a commitment in the past to, to, to follow you but has wandered away, Lord. I pray that you would reach out and return them to following you. Lord, I pray for those of us who are too sheepish and as I am so often fail in in being bold in sharing Jesus with others, Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness by your spirit to be witnesses. And God, as we hear these testimonies of how you've transformed lives of individuals in our church, I pray that you would fill this place with worship and awe and wonder. And so God, we pray that you would continue to move in our midst as we continue our service together. In Jesus' name, amen.